Hi there, my name is Alex Faust, and you're listening to Conversations at the Edge. Each week, we meet with the top business thought leader to learn what they think we should be prioritizing to build better businesses, positively impact our communities, and scale up. Good morning, good afternoon, good night, depending on what part of the world you are joining us from. I'm Alex Faust, your host of Conversations at the Edge, and today I'm very excited to have Mike Michalowicz back at Conversations at the Edge. And if you don't know Mike, uh, I'll do a quick intro for you. By his 35th birthday, Mike had founded two, founded and sold two multi-million dollar companies and confident that he had the formula to success. He became an angel investor. He became an author and one of the most prolific small business authors of our time with critically acclaimed books, including Profit First, Clockwork, The Pumpkin Plan, Fix This Next, which he was here, I think a year ago, talking yeah. about that book. And now his newest book, which is called Get Different, which is the main topic of today's conversation. Mike leads two multi-million dollar ventures as he tests out his latest research for his books. He's a former small business columnist for Wall Street Journal. I'm very, very excited to welcome one of my favorite authors and thought leaders at Growth Institute back to Conversations at the Edge. So Mike, welcome. And where are you calling in from today? Alex, it's good to be with you. I wish I was at Long Beach Island. Uh, I'm calling in from northern New Jersey, where our offices are about 25 miles west of New York City. It's a, it's a pleasure to be with you. I want to talk a little bit about the responsibility of a business owner, of an entrepreneur to do marketing. I've heard you speak in webinars about the way that you think um, about your competition and feel like it's a moral responsibility really to make sure that your potential customers can find you and know about you. Yeah. They don't end up with somebody's inferior offering. Can you talk us uh, through that a little bit? Sure. So uh, there's a question I started asking. In fact, I, I see there's some folks with us on the live chat. Um, and I know this is being recorded also for review. So if you're, if you're watching recording, um, you can ask yourself this question rhetorically, but I want to ask our live participants right now, the same question I've been asking people when I'm presenting. Is your offering, what your company does, is it better than your competition in some capacity or maybe many capacities? If that's true, just put yes in the chat. Um, and make sure you said to everyone because that way people can survey it. That way you don't just speak to hosts. So is your offering better than the competition? And uh, oh, Rick's, Rick noticed that your audio, and I also noticed that Alex, your audio is a little bit tuned down at the moment. It's a little bit low, but I can still hear you. It's a little low. So Andrew says, yes, yeah, Rass. Yeah, so yeses are coming in. Now, here's the deal. I would argue you're 100% right. You're absolutely better than the competition. And there's a couple of indicators. Typically, small business. And small business, I follow the rules of the SBA. That's a $25 million revenue business or lower. So if you do $25 million in annual revenue or less, you are a small business. Um, the, the business owner is integrated into the business in some significant capacity. Maybe we're still doing sales. Maybe we're, we're heading up some major projects. Um, <clears throat> we're definitely responsible for the vision. So we're a big component. The second part, <clears throat> excuse me, the second part is you're here at the Growth Institute to grow. The fact you're you're moving your business forward is a big deal. You're you're learning, and your competition isn't here. You know they're busy just doing the day's work again. Those two components: learning, focused on on serving your clients by serving your business, and the fact you're an owner of a small business and integrated, you're unequivocally better than your competition. So if you're better than the competition, 
you have a responsibility to market accordingly. I mean, if your customers uh, don't discover you because you're not marketing and they discover someone else, they're going to buy. They need that product or service anyway. But if they don't know you exist, they're going to buy something inferior. They buy something inferior. It's the customer's problem, but it's our fault. We have to market. It is an absolute responsibility. So if you believe your product is better, if you have clients referring you, they're telling you you're better. They believe in you so much, they've taken the responsibility of marketing you on their shoulders. If you are better than the competition, we must market. And I'm not saying strong arm or manipulate customers. What I'm simply saying is avail them of the awareness of your company so they can make an educated decision on where to proceed that they feel is in their best interest. But if they're not aware of you, that's your fault. We have to step up. It's a responsibility. Uh, every company is a little bit different um, in general, but I'm wondering how you define different in the lens of this book and in the lens of marketing. What are you thinking about when you're talking about different? Yeah, yeah. So every company is different, but but this is specifically around marketing that garners attention. What I found in any industry, there is the common four or five popular marketing methods that circulate over and over again. The marketing becomes very incestuous. And why it does is because we all use best practices. I go to, I'm an author full time. I, I also actually own multiple businesses, um, but my full time capacity is, is writing books and, and speaking about the books that I write and sharing this stuff. But I use my own companies as guinea pigs. And what I noticed in, for example, the author industry, if I go to an author conference, I hear the four or five ways of marketing. You know, write some blogs, do a blast, but get your own podcast, blah, 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 and it becomes repetitive. The problem is best practices are very effective in almost all facets of business. If you have a hiring practice that works well, Alex, I should absolutely apply that to my business. But marketing becomes what's called habituated. If you and I market to the same prospects the same way, they very quickly become attuned to ignoring it. In fact, habituation is a very important element of how our mind, the human mind, processes information. There's so much stimuli around us at all times that if we invoked and, and, and paid attention to all of it, it would actually overwhelm us and, and effectively kill us. So our mind's number one thing is to defend anything from getting into the mind, to limit the input. And what we use is a technique called habituation. Habituation is where we see something and then deem it not relevant to us and therefore put in the category of always ignore this in the future, even at a subconscious level. An example would be uh, I don't know, Alex, have you ever got a friend that, a friend, an email that starts off with the words, hey, friend? Have you ever gotten something? Yeah, okay. So, me too. <laughs> and uh, I remember the first time I got one, I was like, oh my gosh, I have a friend that calls me friend. Like, they're so friendly. They call me friend. They don't even call me by my real first name. Who is this amazing, intriguing friend of mine? And I read through it. I'm like, oh, this is total BS. This is not for me. This is smarmy marketing. And I put it into the category of ignore forever more habituation. The next hey friend that came in, I disregarded it. I've never looked at the thousand since that have come in. They automatically get deleted. And that's what happens when we follow best practice. Whoever thought the first hey friend, unique, different, got noticed, but then we adopted to it or adapted to it and we never pay attention again. What we need to do for our businesses, what I mean by getting different is look at what the common marketing approach is. Realize that's white noise in your industry. Do things that are not that, and your potential to get noticed skyrockets. Uh, to be different, is it important to first have a clear target audience? 
Yeah. So Rick, great question. And uh, the answer is heck yes. So uh, because to be different, you alone, you don't need to have a clear audience. I can just dress in my clown costume and walk down the street and I guarantee I'll garner attention. But the question is, is it garnering the right attention? And I'll only know if it's the right attention if I know who the right audience is. So in our marketing experiments, and there's a whole section dedicated to this in the book, is we start off with knowing what the who, what, and when is. Who are we targeting as specific as possible, the avatar? What are we trying to deliver to them? What are we trying to sell? And then what is the win? What's the outcome where the customer says, this has been a good experience? And I, the, the vendor, say this has been a good experience, the win-win. Once you have clarity on that, you know how to market. It's interesting, just kind of leaning into clown costumes. Uh, marketing happens in all capacities. And even one form of marketing, if you will, is when the defense attorney goes in front of the jury for the the, the final argument in front of the jury, you know, uh, find my client innocent. And if they wore a clown costume, they could apply the dad method. They walk in a clown costume. The jury now is paying absolute attention to them, but it may not pass the attractor factor. Like, why is this this attorney dressed like a clown, literally, and they discount you? So you have to be careful about that. But you may notice if you ever watch, uh, particularly criminal trials with defense attorneys, they'll do a method called peacocking. They actually will dress different, bold striped suits and stuff like this, because they want to be different and distinguish themselves from every other attorney. They don't want to look like the prosecution side in their frumpy outfits. They want to show that they are different, opening your imagination to maybe there's a different possibility here. They want to be bold enough to get your attention, but they want to also invoke confidence. So they go to the extreme, but hopefully not over the edge. And that's one of the techniques that you actually see playing out uh, live in, in the real world in cases and trials. And that's the ultimate marketing. You have to convince someone to find your client innocent. Your marketing is a million times easier. You just have to show someone that you have a great product or service. So you don't have to even go to the extreme that they do. Thanks for listening to Conversations at the Edge. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, please share it with a friend or a teammate who you think would benefit from what we covered. In addition, you can find us on LinkedIn to get all of the updates. Or if you'd like to hear the full conversation, just visit growthinstitute.com forward slash the edge to learn how you can become a member as well. Thanks again and see you next time.